Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, the ushers can give you a Bible. Colossians chapter 1. Go to, uh, for sake of time, let's start in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, this isn't my message necessarily, but this is the Holy Spirit speaking through the Apostle Paul. And he's saying that they pray, he prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Does the Lord want you to know his will? Or does he want you in the dark? Like, I don't know what the will of the Lord is. No, he wants us to know his will. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. The reason, reason why I say that is because people all the time say, whatever the will of the Lord is, that's what I want. Well, if you're talking about consecrating your life, yes. Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. He's talking about the plan of God. Okay, yes, you... Lord, whatever your will is, that's what I want. But when you know what the will of God is, you don't have to question it. When you know the Bible says that he wants to uh, provide all your needs according to his riches and glory, you don't have to ask, the Lord, is it your will to provide all my needs? Well, he said it. It's in his word. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will that my needs be met? It's already in the word of God. You don't have to pray, Lord, is it your will that I be healed? He said to the man with full of leprosy, it is my will, be healed. He said, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. He said, I am willing. God is no respecter of person. If he said it to one, he says it to all. So that's why I say, and this is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that you be filled with the knowledge of his will. Where are we going to find that at? Find the knowledge of his will in the word of God. You find the will of God in the word of God. You don't find it by experience. You don't find it, you know, I know, uh, how many know the Bible says that God is not willing that any man perish, but that all come to repentance, that all come to know him. Well, if someone dies and they didn't know the Lord, you don't say, well, I guess it wasn't God's will that they be saved. You don't say that, do you? No, but for some reason, when it's other things, healing, I've, I've seen it time and time again. People say, it must have not been God's will. Well, then you have to apply that same logic to people that didn't get saved. No, things happen. We don't always have to know the reason, but we just know that's not God's best. That is not God's will. We live in an earth filled with curse. There's a lot of things going on down here that we don't know about. We don't know spiritual laws that have been put in place. Well, we can know one thing. God's word is true. His will is what he says in his word. And so we always have to make sure we're going to the word of God to find out the will of God, not our experiences. You, I don't fall off here and go, that must have been the will of God. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, the reason could have been I wasn't paying attention, right? People get in car wrecks. Everything happens for a reason. The reason could have been you were dumb and texting. Well, you shouldn't be texting, right? <laughs> People get religious and don't think about what they're saying, and they just, what they're really doing is blaming everything on God. Everything is happening for a reason means no responsibility on me. I know these are sacred cows that people preach and teach and talk about, but when you examine these things, they're not in the Word of God. And so we stick with the Word of God here, amen? amen. But uh, it says in verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, worthy of the Lord. Should we walk worthy of the Lord? Is, is he worth walking worthy? Is he worth, does he deserve all the accolades, all the credit? all the adoration, all the praise, all the glory, is he worthy of that? 
He is. He's, man, you know, I was watching it last week. He, sometimes I, I'm, you know, my mind is thinking ahead, and I said he is worth our admonition. I didn't mean that. I, I meant adoration. Admonition is rebuke. No, he's not, he's not worth that, but just correcting myself because I saw, I'm like, man, I need to correct that in case somebody didn't understand or got confused. But he is worth all the, the credit. He is deserving of our lives. Amen. There is no one more worthy than the Lord. And we don't just want to believe that and say that on paper. We want to actually demonstrate that and express that with our lives. Amen. We don't just want to sing, oh, Lord, you're worthy. But we never actually live and demonstrate it with our lives. Amen. You know, we are not supposed to get the Lord to try to be worthy of our lives. You know, we're not to try to get him to fit into our schedule, into our busy lives, and say, here, you're worthy of these few minutes of my month. No, 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 that is not saying, that is not saying or living what we say. We say the Lord is worthy, well, then we should be making sure that he is worthy. We're not trying to get him to adapt to us, and that's what we live in. A, we live in a culture and a generation that they are trying to get God just to fit into their lives and stay, instead of making sure that, no, everything I do, God is number one in my life. He is number one. He is worthy of every aspect of my lives. I'm not trying to find room for God. No, I make room for him. I prioritize room for him. I mean, what is important to you, you prioritize. If it's really, I said, what is important to you, you prioritize, amen? You don't just see when you can fit God in, you make him fit in in your life, amen? And so we were talking about this last week, uh, about him being worthy. Ephesians, let me read this scripture. Ephesians 4, you don't have to turn there, but verse 1, it says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. It says to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. You may be thinking, well, I'm not called to preach. I'm not called to be a minister. Well, you're called to be salt and light. Every Christian is called to be salt and light. Every Christian is called to be an ambassador for Christ. And if you are salt and light and you are an ambassador for Christ, there is a higher way of living. There is a, a way to live that you walk worthy of him. And so that others know that person right there, there's something different about them. I, I, I see something in them that I don't see in other people. How I many know that should be the testimony of our lives? That people see something in us that they don't see in other people. I remember one time we were at a restaurant, um, and uh, this was a few years back, and we were just eating as a family after church one day, and this guy just kept looking at us, and he was looking at us, and you know, somebody looking at you, you kind of want to think, man, what you looking at? You know, but I, I didn't do that. That's not, not a good witness, you know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a pastor I had one time. He was at the store. He, was parked, he dropped off his wife at the grocery store, and uh, he pulled in the fire lane. You know, you're not supposed to park in the fire lane, you know. But he pulled in the fire lane, and he was waiting there, and he was waiting there for a while, and he was getting kind of aggravated because he saw people go in after his wife and come out before. He's like, I thought she's just getting some milk and eggs. What's, what's going on, you know? So he's pulled over and people kept looking. He said, you know, people are walking by and looking at him like, you're just not, not supposed to park there, you know? And then he said, this one guy kind of gave him a look like, just looking at him, me mugging him, you know? And then he, <laughs> the pastor said, do I know you? He stuck out and said, do I know you? The guy was like, yes, you are that pastor, aren't you? He was like, yes, I thought it was you too. Glory to God. <laughs> Good seeing you. <laughs> Just made it up. But why did I tell that? What was I talking about? Oh, I was, we, were, we were, yeah, you don't want to do that, right? You got to be a witness everywhere that you go. But we were at a restaurant and the guy was looking at us like that. And I forgot why I got up and, and he said something about you guys. Man, there's like a glow around you. I was like, well, glory to God. It's, it's the Lord, you know. But that's how it should be, right? When we walk out of here, we, we leave, people should see something different about us. They may not know what it is. They may not be able to pinpoint it, <laughs> you know. But they, they know something is different about that individual. But how many know the Lord has made us worthy of, of, of him? We were worthy enough for him to die for, 
for, the, for him to go to the cross, for him to go through the beatings, for him to take the stripes upon his back. Everything he went through, he thought, hey, these people are worth my sacrifice. They are worth my life. They are worth my love. They are worth me laying down my life. He thought we were worth it, amen? He thought we were worth it. So should we live like what he did wasn't just useless? Should we, should, we should live in a manner that says, Lord, what you did is worthy of my life, is worthy of me living righteous towards you. We don't want to just treat what he did as insignificant. And that's what happens when we don't walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. We are basically saying, Lord, all that stuff that you did for me, you didn't have to do it because I'm not going to live up to it. That's really what's happening when you, I know sometimes people don't like things that black and white, but it is what it is, amen? That is true. And we should live in accordance with who our father is. Our lives should match him. Our lives should match who we are called. We're his children. We're his ambassadors. And it should represent that. Our lives should reflect that, amen? And so we started a series that we're calling Jesus is Worth. And every week we're filling in the blank. Last week we said Jesus is worth my fight. And we talked about that we fight for the Lord because he fought for us. Amen? He fought for us so we should fight for him. He, he laid down his life. He sacrificed. So, hey, we should be willing to fight for him. We should be willing to fight for the truth, to fight for his name. We talked about the fighting spirit that we must have, the spirit of faith that doesn't quit, that doesn't give up, that says, I'm going to preach this gospel. I'm going to live for the Lord for the rest of my days. I don't care what I go through, what persecution, what trials, what tribulations come. I'm fighting for the Lord because he fought for me. Amen. I'm not going to give up on him because he didn't give up on me. I'm fighting for him. Amen. And then we talked about fighting for one another. We fight for one another, our brothers and sisters, and we fight with them. Amen. But this week, we're going to talk about something else. Go with me to John chapter 21, the gospel of John chapter 21. The gospel of John chapter 21. And we could talk a lot more about living worthy of the Lord. And these things that we're going to get in our, our different aspects of our lives that he is worthy of. He's worthy of. In John chapter 21, this is Jesus after he's been raised from the dead and he is with uh, the disciples, see him on the beach. He calls to them and they, you know, they go to him while he's on the beach and then this happens uh, in verse 15. Let's start there. You guys, a lot of you have heard this before. It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, that's all I wanted to know, Peter. Just you saying you love me is good enough for me. Now, is that what he said? What did he say? He said, Tim, you telling me private me that you love me makes up for all those times you denied me publicly. Did he say that? No. no. There's a reason why I'm saying this. Because sometimes we read these stories and we just ignore, you know, the significance of what's going on here. But did he say that? No. Did he say, Peter, you know, your words of affirmation is what I need. You know, that's, that's my love language, Peter. Thank you. <laughs> no. He didn't say that. I'm not knocking having a love language. That's great. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? No, I, I like participation. He didn't say that, did he? No. What did he say? Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. 
So today we're talking about Jesus is worth my love. He is worth my love. You know, Jesus is asking Peter to confirm his love, to demonstrate his love. Yeah, he confessed his love, but he's asking Peter, prove it, demonstrate it. He's telling Peter, yes, you say that you love me, but there needs to be a corresponding action now. There needs to be some demonstration. You know, somebody said, well, really? Does God require us to demonstrate our love? Well, do you? We do. Think about it. If I told my wife, I love you in words, but I never give anything to her. I never give her my time. I never take her out anywhere. I never, I never help her. I don't lift a finger around the house. I just lay around and don't do anything for her. Don't give her any of my commitment. Don't give her no money. Don't do anything for her. But I just say, I love you. Is that sufficient? No, that's not sufficient. Some people are confused about that. Is that sufficient? For me, just say, I love you, and don't do anything about it. Don't demonstrate it. Don't show anything. Don't prove it. No. Well, why is God any different? Is he any different? No. We are created in his likeness and image. And the Lord is not that he's insecure, not that he is needy, not that he needs you to tell him, I love you, to keep going. But if it's true, that you love him, then it should be seen and revealed. It should be proven in what you do and how you live. And if you obey him or not obey him, you know, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Just saying I love you does not, is not the equivalent of you obeying and you doing what he tells you to do. You know, if we really love him, we will show him that we love him. You know, and that's the problem is that love is a misused word in our culture. Love is misused. People use love incorrectly all the time. Biblical love, people, we don't have a grasp and an understanding and revelation of what love is because people love Chinese food and people love Mexican food. People love their cars. People love ice cream. And I love my family and I love God too. Well, you, you just, what, that means what? There's no significance, no meaning, because you use words interchange. You use, you're using love to basically express that you enjoy something. And that's the incorrect way to use the word love. We don't love things. We don't love pizza. We don't love Mexican food. No, we love God and we love people. But see, love is being used incorrectly, and so people don't have an understanding of what it really means to love. Love is the biblical word. The Bible says God is love. And God, who is love, he did something to prove and demonstrate his love. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Love, real love, gives. Giving is the greatest act and expression of love. How do you want to prove your love to God? You give. There is something that you are giving to him. You are giving to him. I said you are giving to him. It is the greatest expression of love. How many know the Bible talks about in Romans 5, 8, in this God demonstrated his love for us. He's proven his love for us in this that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is that? He gave himself. That is him doing something. Ephesians 5 talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. What did he do because he loved the church? He gave himself for her. So if you are loving, then you are going to be giving. Real love gives. If there is no giving, there's no loving. So we can say, oh, I love you. But if we don't give him anything, we really are just lip service. You know, worship is supposed to be an extension of our lives. What I'm talking about when we sing, when we sing, I worship you, you know, there's a, there's a trend with worship services. And I, I think it's great to worship the Lord. I'm not knocking worshiping the Lord, but your worship with your song is supposed to be an extension of your life. You cannot worship and just say, I worship you, I worship you, but your life doesn't reflect that you really worship him. 
True worship is going to be expressed in how you live, not just in words and song. Amen? I'm teaching better than you guys are saying amen, but it's the truth. I know sometimes people don't like it like that, but hey, it's the word of God. Amen? But, but the word love, let me give you a couple scriptures to back that up. What I'm saying about loving is giving. Giving is the primary language of love. So if you're thinking love, I love you, you should be thinking I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give something to you. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What did Christ do because, that expressed that he loved us? He gave himself. Ephesians 5 says this. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. How should we be imitators? Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So for us to express the God kind of love, in order for us to love, there needs to be some giving that takes place. We need to make sure that we're always getting our terms from the Bible. Because terms have been, the culture has redefined terms today. Love is today is just a feeling and hey, however you feel, that's how I feel. Love is love. No, no, no. What does the Bible say about love? That's what we, that's what love is. So if I never give my wife my time, my commitment, um, in any of my life, is that really loving her? No. You see how that could be confusing too, especially if God hears you say, I love you, God, and I love Mexican food. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. You don't give your life to Mexican food, but you give your life to me. You're supposed to, right? So we need to make sure that we are using these words correctly because it's not just about using the right words. It's about how you really see things. It's about how you really believe. How, what, the words you speak do are, are indicators of how you actually see some things. So I don't love pizza. I enjoy it, but I don't love it, right? And Jesus is worth more than empty words. He is worth our lives, amen? He's worth our love. Say, Jesus is worth my love. Go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And actually this love, real love, is what causes God to know us. John chapter 14. And while you're while you're in John chapter 14, let me read this in 1 Corinthians 8. You can write it down. It says, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he says, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Notice what that said. If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. You know, the, it's not the knowledge that we have that causes God to draw closer to us, that causes God to know us. It's not knowledge of the scriptures. It's not knowledge of everything that's going on in the world. God is not impressed with that. God is not impressed with our knowledge and our smarts. Amen. Knowledge and smarts come from him. Intelligence comes from him. He's not impressed because you know, you know, rocket science or whatever you claim to know. That doesn't say, ooh, I want to get to know you more now. No, that's not what causes God to draw closer to you. What causes God to draw closer to you is that love. It says, if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Actually, the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day, he said, you know, you search the scriptures for in them that you think you have eternal life, but they testify about me. But he went on to tell them, he said, but you don't even have the love of God in you. What, what he means, love of God, that phrase is talking about the love for God. He said, you don't have the love for God in you. 
So just because we have a lot of knowledge, just because we know a lot of things, that doesn't mean that we love God, okay? Actually, this, it says this in, for, in the Amplified of that verse. It says, but if one loves God truly with affectionate reverence, prompt obedience, and grateful recognition of his blessing, he is known by God, recognized as worthy of his intimacy and love, and he is owned by him. Wow, what causes God, us, to be worthy of his intimacy? When we love him. When we truly love him. Not just talking about words, but when we demonstrate it with our lives. You're in John 14, right? Starting in verse 15, it says, if you love me, what? Sing about it in church every Sunday. <laughs> no, it's good to do that. But if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Go drop down to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who what? Loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The Amplified, other versions say that who loves him and who obeys him, he will make himself clearly seen to them. He will reveal himself to them. And then it said, Judah says this in verse 22, not as scary, it said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus is like, hey, I'm just a messenger. <laughs> he said, if the words I'm saying, they're my father's. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. If you don't love me, you're not keeping my commandments. So that means our love for God is very detectable. It's very recognizable. It can be witnessed. Our love for God can be witnessed. Right? Can you, we can witness and experience the love that God has for us. Who's experienced the love that God has for you? You've experienced like, man, thank you, Lord. You came through. You did that for me. You blessed my family. You experienced it. You witnessed it. You were there. You can testify of it. Well, God can testify about, about our love or not testify about it. Others can witness your love for God. Just like others can witness your love for them, for your family, others can witness your love for God. And that's something that we need to check out. This is not, not condemnation, but correction. But looking at our lives. You know, we, we should be able to look back in our week and see how much time we gave to God. How much of my, how much of my life did I give to him? How much of my time, my commitment, that I, am I giving my finances to the Lord? This is part of who you are, your life. If you can look month after month and you're not doing that, well then, do we really love the Lord? We don't. We, we may say, I love you, Lord, but he says otherwise. I'm just the messenger like Jesus. These words are not mine, but my Father who sent me. <laughs> we, but we all need to look back and say, Lord... I, I sing about it, but look back. You can look back at your schedule, at your calendar, at your bank accounts, and you see how much we really do love the Lord. Amen? Amen? But love for God is going to be revealed. It's going to be proven. It, you know, think about this. What if Peter didn't say he loved him? Well, there's no reason for the Lord to say, feed my sheep. And that's another thing is that you don't even get the plan of God for your life. You don't even get the next step unless you really love the Lord. The plan of God is going to be revealed in your love and your fellowship with him and your obedience to him. If Peter was 
not willing to love the Lord, how do you know he doesn't find out what he's called to do? Love for God is important. Love for God is significant. If you want to know what you're called to do, then we really got to get to know it, get to loving the Lord. Amen? This is how we become more real and acquainted with God. Think about this. I don't become more acquainted with my wife. I don't become more acquainted with a friend, a ch my child, if I'm never interested in what they're interested in. If I say I love you to them, but I never want to go to the mall with my wife, I never want to go, well, she don't even like to go to the mall, so that's a bad example. But I never want to go anywhere that she wants to go. If she, if she don't, you know, say she wanted to go to see a movie, she wanted to go to a nice restaurant, and she wanted to have some of my time, some, uh, you know, and I never take her out on date night. I never do anything that she's interested in, but I love you. Am I demonstrating that I love her? No. And at the same time, will I get closer to her if I don't do what she likes? If I don't talk about what she likes, will we somehow, by osmosis, just grow more intimately acquainted with one another? No, it doesn't work that way. Well, why do we think God is different? God is not different. You know, sometimes we got to realize we got to stop playing games in church. Like, I don't come to church to play games. I come to, get, I come to get corrected. I come to learn. I study the Word so I can see what I need to change in my life, not just keep doing the same thing that's saying, oh, Lord, we love you, and wonder why we don't have the intimacy and fellowship that we desire and that we long for. Well, there's reasons why, and his word of God is plain about it. I'm just saying what Jesus said. Amen? Amen? It's not different. It's not going to be different with God as it is with other people. We are created by him. We function and operate like he functions and operate. We are a, an expression of him. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. But why did Peter... Or Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Why did he ask him that? Because it's possible to love something else more than we love Jesus. It's possible to give our lives to something more than we do the Lord. It's possible that we find something else in our lives more worthy of our time, more worthy of our love than we do the Lord. It's possible. That's why he said, do you love me more? He didn't say, do you love me as much? He said, do you love me more? I mean, oh, if you, uh, somebody was always telling you they love you, they love you, but they never backed it up, you might start to think, no, you, you love something else more than you love me. You love yourself. You love other things. Amen. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 Paul writing to the Holy Spirit through Paul, writing to his son Timothy in the faith, he says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Man, are you looking forward to that day? Are you looking, a couple of people are, are you guys looking forward to the day that you see him face to face? Hallelujah. Verse 9, be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed for Thessalonica. Why did Demas leave and forsake Paul? Because he loved this present world. He loved the things of the world. Think about that. Paul has, I mean, could you imagine if you lived in Paul's day and been able to travel with him, to be associated with his ministry? I mean, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and this guy Demas forsakes him. He leaves him. Because he loved something more than he loved the Lord. He loved something more than he loved the ministry. 
So he was willing to leave that. He said, this is worth more of my life, this world, and the things the world has to offer than the ministry is worth, than the sacrifice over here. He said, this is worth more of my life. The uh, CEV of that verse says, Demas loves the things of this world so much that he left me and went to Thessalonica. Wow. This is a person that Paul at one point said, he is my fellow laborer. He called Demas a fellow, fellow laborer. He had been faithful to Paul. He had been faithful to the Lord, been faithful to the ministry. But at some point he came to the conclusion that this is no longer worth it. This is no longer worth the fight of faith. It's no longer running, you know, worth running my race. It's no longer worth the sacrifice. And I'm going after this now. I'm going after the world. We cannot do that. We don't want to be like Demas, amen? amen. Say, say, I'm not going to be like Demas. You know, our love for other things is the biggest hindrance and obstacle to us fulfilling the plan of God for our lives. Love for other things is the biggest hindrance, is the enemy for us completing, and like I said before, even finding out the plan of God for our lives. If we love something else more, we won't find out the plan and we won't complete the plan of God for our lives. If we love our goals and our dreams and our aspirations and, and, and our hobbies, if we love those things more than God, we won't fulfill the plan of God that he has for us. We won't, we won't fulfill them. Go to 1 John chapter 2. We won't even find out about them. 1 John chapter 2. You can love other people more than you love God. You can love your family more than you love God. But God has to be number one in our lives. He gets the first place and first priority in our lives. Let me, while you're at 1 John 2, let me read this in John 20, or I'm sorry, John 12, verse 25. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What he, he's not saying that you hate yourself, that you despise, you don't have confidence. And you, he's not saying that. But you cannot love your things, the things you want to do, more than you want to do the things of God. You cannot, that's, that word hate there, when you see that, it's talking about loving less. You cannot love more yourself and your dreams and the, and the things you want to do in life more than you love the plan of God and what he wants you to do. And really it all stems from loving him first. It says in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Notice that. He said, that what is it? he doesn't mean that you hate them, that you despise them and dishonor them. All the word of God goes together, okay? Jesus told us to honor our mother and father, right? So what does he mean here? He's talking about you have to love them less than you do me. You have to love, you know, I cannot properly even love my wife. I can't properly love her or my children if God is not the number one person I love first. I don't even know how to love her until I love him first. I, until he's first and until I'm getting from him the, the love and how to love, I can't even love her. So people think, I, I can't love anybody over my children. Well, no, you have to. You better love God first. God has to be first. You know, one day your children are going to be gone. You know, they're there with you for a short time and you demonstrate your love for God first. To him first. God has to be first. He has to have more of your love than anybody. Because you're not loving them properly if you don't love him properly. If you don't love him first. If you don't obey him first and do what he tells us to do. Amen? Amen. But 1 John 2 verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when he's saying the love of the Father, he's talking about the love for the Father. If you look at that phrase, the, God loves us, 
But if we love the things in the world, the love for the Father is not in us. And why, why would you say, you know, the world, the, when we're talking about the world, we're not talking about planet Earth, right? He's not, saying you, he's not saying if you love the planet, you know, the love of God is not in him. He's saying if you love the things in the world, the things the world has to offer. Why? Because the things that the world has to offer, they will draw your heart away from God. And if the things of the world win most of your life, win most of your heart, then your love for God, for God will weaken. Our love for God will weaken if our love for the world keeps winning. If it keeps prevailing in our lives, our love for God will weaken. But why is that a big deal? Because that means no intimacy with God, no fellowship with him, him not even really knowing me and me not knowing him. What did it say? Those that love him will be known of God. They will be known by God. He will become more intimate with those that love him, those that give of themselves to him. But you can also give yourself to the world. And that's what Demas did, right? He gave up his ministry. He gave up the ministry, the plan of God for his life, for the world, for the glamour of the world. He left it. Go to the next verse, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. What's that? The lust of the flesh. That just means desire, longing. You know, we sometimes see that word lust and we, ought, we think one thing, but the, the, the flesh desires to eat all that it wants to eat. It, in, it wants to indulge. It wants to get drunk. It wants to get high. That's what the flesh wants to do. The nature of the flesh, our flesh is not born again. Our flesh didn't get born again. You and my flesh, that's what it wants to do if we were to let it. It wants to have sex and fornicate with everybody all the time. Yeah, all of our flesh. That's what our flesh wants to do. He's like, no, I don't want to do it. Because if you don't want to do it, it's just because that you've crucified your flesh in that area. And so you haven't struggled with it. But if we were never to crucify our flesh, if we were never to walk in the spirit, that's what our flesh would want to do. The lust our flesh desires and craves, it, it, you know, addictions and sex and eat all you want. That's what the flesh wants to do. It says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. You know, the eyes, they want to look at things they shouldn't look at. They want to look at pornography. They want to fantasize and visualize, not just physically, but in, in mentally. You want to think and visualize on things. Is it okay to talk about this stuff? Because people deal with this stuff, right? We shouldn't just pretend like this stuff is not happening, right? <laughs> it's just pretend in church that things don't go on, right? <laughs> no, this is, what the, this is what eyes want to do. The eyes want to look at. The eyes want to look at another man's wife and an another woman's husband. They want to fix their eyes and fantasize and think about those things. They want to watch movies and look at videos they shouldn't be looking at. Look at TikTok videos and Instagram photos. They shouldn't be looking at That's what the eyes of the flesh want to do, right? The eyes of the flesh want to do this. And then what's the next? The pride of life. What is that? Pride of life. Oh, you know, everybody look at me, show off, you know, look at my abs, look at my physique, you know, look, look, at my, look what I've done, look what I've accomplished, Look at what I'm able to do. I'm smarter than this person. Look at, look at my room full of trophies. Look at me. Look at this. Selfie me. Right? That's the pride of life. Trying to impress people. That's what pride is. Trying to impress people. You know, don't, you know I, w I remember in Bible school, one of our instructors said, um, don't try to impress people. Just be impressive by the way that you live. By the way that you conduct yourself, by the way that you live, you don't have to try to impress people. Just be impressive. You know, you don't have to tell people all your accomplishments, you know, all the things that you've done in life. Sometimes you meet people and they just tell you a rattle off a, a, rattle off a list of things they've accomplished. You know, well, it's better if sometimes if people just, a lot of times, if people just find out that you did something because you never told them. They find out from somebody else. Like, yeah, so-and-so, man, did you know they won a Nobel Peace Prize? Oh, really? I've known them for five years. They never told me that. You start, you think about a person differently like that. Like, wow, that's a really humble person. I respect that. I appreciate that. 
But some people, they got to tell you everything they did in their life right away. Well, no, that's, that's pride. Why would, why would you need to do that? Pride, right? You want to show off. You want everybody to know, hey, this is going on. <laughs> we, we're really hitting some things today, aren't we? <laughs> but, uh, but no, we don't. It says the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So these things are of the world. And what's going on with the world? The world is what? Next, very next verse. It's passing away. You know, none of these things in the world can fulfill us. You know that? None of these things in the world can fulfill us. They can't satisfy the inner hunger that we have for God on the inside of us. You know, they don't, you, you don't do these things. Yeah, the Bible says that sin brings pleasure for a season. But when that season is over, after a couple hours of you getting high and you getting drunk, you wake up miserable like, who am I? What's my purpose in life? So let me drink some more and get high again so I don't have to think about that anymore. <laughs> That's what is happening. And you wake up and you, you think, man, I, was it worth it? You look back, you know, none of these things, you know, we're, we're spiritual beings. And the way spiritual beings are satisfied is by pleasing our spiritual father as by doing what our spiritual father wants us to do. Not by satisfying the flesh. You know, but these are the things that cause demons to leave the ministry. And you know, none of these things are going to love us back. The things in the world that we will do, none of those things are going to love us back. You can give all your time to movies, to TV shows, to, you know, fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and none of those things are going to love you back. They're not going to say, oh, I love you. Thank you. No, you will just get more miserable and more upset and like, why did I do this? Well, is it all worth it? But is the, is the Lord worth more of our love than the world? You know I, know, I know these things aren't fun to talk about. But if we don't talk about them, then we're not making corrections that could get us closer to God, more intimate with him more on the plan that he has for us. And that's what I want for us. That's what I want for you is that you get closer to the plan that God has for you. It's, just, it's not about do's and don'ts. I, I despise religion. I don't like the do's and don'ts and the legalism of religion, but I still want the truth though. And if the truth says, hey, this is what it is, and it slaps me in the face, well, I want it. Because I know the truth is going to make me free. The truth makes us free. We don't want to hide from the truth because that's actually the thing that's going to bring us the most joy and most fulfillment in our lives. You know, sometimes people run from the truth. They're like, man, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that stuff. I don't, I don't want to hear about that. But actually, no, if we heard it and we received it, we'd actually get more free. We'd be like, wow, man. This is helping me. I, I'm actually seeing the truth. I'm seeing the light here. I'm seeing the deception of the enemy and seeing some things that he was trying to pull off in my life that were hindering me from the plan of God, hindering me from fulfilling what God has called me to do, hindering me from my relationship and fellowship with God. Now I see what's been going on. And that's what we want, amen? We want that. And in anything that, you know, God is so patient. He is so patient with us. He is, he, you know, we can, yes, you know, I use that example about our husbands and wives or spouse and you not loving them. But, you know, you could say I love you to God for 10 years, for 20 years, never demonstrate it, and he's still there waiting for you. He hasn't given up on you. He's still waiting there for you to demonstrate it, to come to him, to love him. You know, think about Peter. He had just denied the Lord three times. He just denied him. And the Lord said, Peter, do you love me? And he gave him a job to do. He said, this is how you show me you love me. And well, how do you know Peter did that? He went out and was a pillar in the church. The Lord was waiting for him. He didn't throw him away. He didn't say, you know what, I'm I don't got time for you. You know, that happened in most marriages though, right? You don't demonstrate your love after several years, maybe shorter, they're out. But the Lord, he's a patient bride. He's a patient, patient groom. He's waiting for his bride. He's saying, come on, this is what you got to do. Just do this. I'm waiting here. 
Am I worth your time? Am I worth your love? Am I worth the effort? Am I worth your obedience? I, I want to get to know you better. See, all these things are for our benefit because God has something good for us. He has a good plan for our lives. He has something good in store for us. But the way we get there is by obeying him and doing what he's told us to do. You know, the things that Demas left the, left the ministry for, left the plan of God for, those things are temporary. Those things one day he's going to forget about and be like, man, I left the plan of God for this? How stupid was I? We never want to leave the plan of God for something temporary, for something that satisfies for a few moments. It says in verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Whatever we do for God, that's forever. That'll last forever. It'll have eternal rewards, eternal rewards. We'll get to heaven. We'll be like, thank you, Lord. I'm getting eternal rewards. I'm getting a place in the kingdom of God. You know, there's going to be ranks in heaven. The Bible talks about there will be those that rule over five cities and ten cities, and some ain't going to rule over nothing. They'll be ruled over, not in, a, not in a subjugating, you know, evil way, but how many know you can have a place in the kingdom of God where you have some responsibility in the eternal kingdom of God? Reward, amen? But is Jesus worth our love? Is he worth your love? Is he worth giving your life to him? Not just saying, Lord, I love you, but actually giving it to him, proving it to him, demonstrating it to him, endeavoring to, endeavoring to do it. At least, are you willing to endeavor, to, to, to make an effort to say, Lord, I, I give my life to you. I love you. You're worth my love. Is, is anybody at all worth, is, is anybody else besides me saying, hey, I'm going to make some effort. I'm going to make more of an effort to love him. He is worth my love. He's worth it. And you will not regret it because as you do, you'll find that you get closer to him and he can talk to you about things that he couldn't talk to you about before because you're demonstrating that you love him. Amen.